I would ask you please take your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the book of James. We're returning to James after uh, several weeks uh, being out. We had the Christmas break and um, had about three weeks involved with uh, Christmas and the immediate aftermath of Christmas, of, of our Lord's first advent. And then um, we had a kind of a New Year's sermon, kind of a, a goal for the New Year's is to be a living lives full of worship and especially being committed to corporate worship. And uh, now this morning we, we return to the book of James. We're in the last chapter. Um, we should be, Lord willing, um, in the book of James for the rest of this month and, and then we'll be moving on to other things. So uh, this morning we're in James uh, chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 7 through 11 as our text. Let me remind you that it is God's Word, and out of respect and honor for God's Word, I would ask you please, if you're able, stand together with me as we read. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crops, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Please be seated. Well, you've probably seen the bumper sticker. If you haven't, I'm sure you've heard about it. Um, one said, please be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. Right? We, we love it when people are patient with us, and we want people to be patient with us um, because we're... We still fail in so many ways. We make a mistake and we ask you to forgive me, right? Um, and we want that to happen. But I'm not so sure about how willing we always are to be patient with others. Or even how patient we are to be with God. When things don't exactly go our way, maybe someone does something that really upsets us and we just lose our patience with them. We don't strangle them, but we really would like to, right? Or maybe even God. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed about this certain thing and it just doesn't happen. It's like it's falling on deaf ears. God, I know you're, you're in all places and you hear all things and you know all things. Why is it that you're not doing this for me? And we find that we are beginning to lose patience even with God. Well, James, in this passage, let me remind you, in James chapter 5, the first six verses, he has been talking uh, uncharacteristically in this letter to uh, others rather than brothers. Um, throughout the book, he's addressing those he's writing the letter to, his brothers, and he was, he's uh, thinking of those who are in Christ. And at the beginning of, verse, of chapter 5, he says, Listen, you rich people. 
He's not calling them brothers, and he doesn't call them brothers, and there's um, this warning against them, and it's almost as if you truly are not rich, you truly are not believers because of the way you act regarding your wealth and what you have done and how you've treated others. We've heard earlier in the, in the book of James how uh, we're not to uh, look at, at the rich and show favoritism towards them. They're the ones who are pulling us into, into court, right? Throwing, getting us thrown in jail and these sorts of things. The rich are oppressing, in other words. It seems you see the rich oppressing God's people here. And so he's, he's uh, calling them out in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, and saying, you know what? God's going to judge you. And now, in, in verse 7, he says, be patient then. He's referring back to what he's just told the rich. Now he's reminding, therefore, then, brothers, in the midst of this, in the midst of the hardships you're facing with the rich treating you the way, the way they are and all of the different hardships you're going through, how are you supposed to respond? And so um, that's what he's telling us here in this passage. What, he, what, what we as Christians, how we as Christians should live in the face of these kinds of trials, in the face of this kind of suffering. And so you see in your bulletin an outline, hopefully, uh, we have four main points. And... Uh, you see that this morning as we, as we look at this passage, we're going to look at what he says about how Christians are supposed to be patient uh, during this time. James instructs us, verse 7, he starts off this, be patient, and then again in, in verse 8, you too be patient and stand firm and so on. And so the four points that I want us to notice from this passage, first of all, the nature of Christian patience, secondly, the hope of Christian patience, Thirdly, the practice of Christian patience. And fourthly, examples of Christian patience. And so with that, let's dig in. The word that, uh, that James uses here um, in Greek for patience is a word that is rarely used in ancient Greek. Actually, it's made up of two different words. Makros, which means far away. And thumos, which means anger. So the two words, far away and anger, it's the word he's using for patience here that is translated for us as patience. More literally, you might think, put patience, or put anger far away from you, right? Put anger far away from you. You remember Jesus telling us, if someone strikes you on one side of the face, turn the other cheek, let him strike you on the other. That's not... That's kind of the opposite of our fallen human nature, right? It's opposite of what we, would, we, we want to do. When things go wrong, we just seems to be so natural to want to strike back or strike out. Someone cuts you off in traffic. Well, this, this is more for guys, okay? Someone cuts you off in traffic, and you've got to let them know you shouldn't have done that. How dare you do that? You've got to lay on your horn and let them know if you... Could, they would be the type you would be choking, right? We always, when someone does us wrong, we want to plan ways that we're going to retaliate to do what James is telling us to do here in being patient, putting anger far away that seems kind of unnatural to us. But we want others to be patient with us. 
We want them to put anger far away when maybe we wrong them in some way. James says, you, you be patient. Uh, these people are wronging you. Maybe these rich are oppressing you. And in the midst of this, are you going to be patient with the Lord in the midst of this? Are you going to say, Lord, have you not seen? Do you not know? Haven't you heard my prayers about this? How they are wronging me? Why aren't you smiting them just yet? James is reminding us, be patient. Be patient. Um, we, may, uh, we often talk about, as we get older, <laughs> we say, I'm ready for the Lord to come back. He can come back today, right? I wish he would. But he doesn't, or he hasn't yet. And even at the time of the writing of the New Testament, Peter talks about this, and he says, you know what, there are people out there that say, where is his coming? And he says, the world continues to go on as it always had. And he says in 2 Peter 3, he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, and he's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord is long-suffering. He's patient. He's putting his anger far away for the time being because when he returns, there's going to be judgment. And he's saying that's not, I don't want to have to do that just yet. And we, who are made in his image, are supposed to look like him. He's patient. We're supposed to look like him. Now we've been fallen in sin, but what has he done? He's recreated us in Christ Jesus. This is what we're supposed to look like. He's given us his, his Holy Spirit. And you look in Galatians 5, and you have the fruit of the Spirit, right? Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. You know, patience is a part of that. If you've got the Holy Spirit living in you, if you're a Christian, you do. If you have the Holy Spirit living within you, that, that fruit of patience is supposed, to, is supposed to be there. That fruit which says, I'm going to put anger far away. I'm not going to become angry with others in the church. I'm not going to become angry with the Lord because it just seems like he's not answering yet. And the excuse... I'm sorry I became angry with you, but I've had a rough day. It's really no excuse at all. The nature of Christian patience is to put anger far away. Don't let it be a part of your life. Don't be looking to retaliate. Don't be looking to get vengeance yourself. Remember, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. The nature of Christian patience is to put anger far away, even in the midst of uh, the difficulties and the trials and the hardships. Maybe that someone is intentionally laying on you. Secondly, I want us to see not only the nature of Christian patience, the, but, the, but the hope of Christian patience. How in the world can we do this? How in the world can we put anger far away when other people are so, you know, so, so easily make us angry? Well, I want you to see verse 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the, the Lord's coming. How can we be patient? Well, the Lord's coming back. Look in verse 8. Um, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. 
He's coming back. Verse 9, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. He's coming. It's near. He's standing at the door. The hope of Christian patience. How in the world can we be patient in the midst of all of these things? We can be patient because we're reminded that Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to make everything right. You know that the return of Christ is mentioned 300 times in the New Testament. Quite a bit in those uh, 27 books. Uh, in fact, the return of the Lord is mentioned in every New Testament book except for Philemon and 3 John. And every one of the rest of the books in the New Testament talk about Christ's return. Someone has said that uh, every time uh, where the final return is the subject, it's always presented in the context of either comforting or challenging the Christian. And we see a little bit of both here, don't we? We see the comfort that he's trying to give to us. You can have patience because you know the Lord's coming is near. All of these wrongs that are out there, all the wrongs that you're suffering, you're going through, it's going to be okay because he's coming back. And when he comes back, it's going to be made right. It's going to be made right. One commentator, I like the way he illustrated it. I thought I'd, it's a brief illustration, but I thought you might. <clears throat> it was a good one for you to hear. Anyway, he says, uh, if, if we knew beyond doubt that a serious illness would result in a complete recovery of health, even though the length of time that must pass before that happy event remained unknown to us, much of the burden of our anxiety would be shed. Similarly, though, at a much higher and more important level, uh, the Christian is not meant to be worried about the number of years that may pass before the parousia, the return, of the Lord. He is called to uh, strengthen his heart in the assurance that the Lord's return will bring to him a complete spiritual help full of salvation and eternal life. You know, that's right. You're sick. You think, ah, this is terrible. But if you know that you can, you're going to get over it, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt those antibiotics you're taking are going to work eventually. You don't know exactly how long it's going to take, but you're comforted to know it's a lot better than not knowing if you're ever going to get well or not. The hope of the Christian is that in the midst of all of these difficult times, we don't know when it's going to be, but he is going to return. Um, James tells us it's near. You may look at that and go, well, that's, that's odd. And, and you hear other, uh, both Jesus talks about the nearness of his return. Paul talks about the nearness of his return. Author of Hebrews, Peter, they're all talking about the nearness of his return. But I think what, what, what we don't need to understand it as maybe the way we count nearness or farness. Why Peter is saying, you know what, uh, the Lord uh, um, doesn't count slowness as we do. Um, reminding us that the uh, nearness to him may not be exactly the nearness that we might think. Jesus tells us in uh, Matthew 24 that no one knows when he's going to return. It will come as a thief in the night. 
I think the idea that we're really supposed to get here is not that it's going to happen within a couple of weeks or a couple of months or a couple of years after James has written this, but that we're always to live our lives in a state of preparation. It's always going to be near for us. It always should be near for us that Jesus is going to return. And with that in mind, it, uh, it helps us to be in preparation. Would, would your life change at all if you knew that Jesus was going to return before this, uh, uh, this worship service was over? Would, would your life change? Would it, would it change? Would it have changed yesterday? Let me ask those who are not here this morning. Would it change if you knew that Jesus was going to return before this worship service was over? It shouldn't. We should always be ready and anticipating Christ's return today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, next decade, next millennium. It doesn't matter. We should always be ready for it to happen right now. And our lives should be lived in such a way. And that is our hope. Our hope that Christ will return right now and we're reminded that when he returns, it's all going to be made right. We see the, the judgment coming uh, here. Uh, we, we're reminded of the judgment on those rich oppressors in the first, uh, first few verses here of chapter 5. In the book of Revelation, we see those under the throne who are, who are calling out for God to come and, do, and to do justice. And he says, wait a little while longer. There's still martyrs that have to happen. We, we, we live our lives in preparedness, waiting for Christ to come and return at any time. He can come and will return. And when he does, it is a certainty he is going to return. And all these wrongs are going to be made right. We're to find comfort in that. But uh, as we saw that we're to find comfort in it, we're also challenged by it. And that is the uh, third point here, the practice of Christian patience. Uh, see what he says to us here um, in verse 8. You too be patient and stand firm. Stand firm. What does that mean? Strengthen your hearts. You know, someone has said it communicates that the waiting is to be done not in weakness or defeat, but in strength and action. Don't give up just because it seems that the Lord is delaying uh, such a long time His return. I remember growing up in church in Arkansas and the, the return of the Lord being preached. Uh, um, and, and I was thinking back in those days, it was before the 2000s, before the 21st century. And I was thinking, it's definitely got to happen before the year 2000. It's going to happen. And uh, way before then, I will be an old man in 2000. That's what I used to think. Right. Lord can't wait that long. But we may see it and, and, see, and it may seem like a long time to us. It doesn't matter. Stand firm, he says. Stand firm. Stand firm in encouragement, knowing that he is going to, and he's, he's, he's going to return. And, and in the meantime, you're going to be patient, putting that anger far away. Stand firm in that, recognizing he's faithful to his promises. He will return. And secondly, we see uh, the practice is not only standing firm in the midst of all these times, but 
Look with me in verse 9. He says, don't grumble against each other's brother. Brothers, um, we kind of do this, don't we? When things don't go our way, who is it that we lash out against the most? Those closest to us. Those in the church, if that stupid person over there hadn't done this, it, it's all their fault. You know, we lash out at, at others. And it seems that we often lash out against those who least deserve us lashing out against them and grumbling against them. Um, we should not be blaming others. We should not grumble against others. We shouldn't lash out, showing our anger against them, saying that they're the, they're the cause of our wrong. We want others to be patient with us. Some of us may have had the bumper sticker at times, we don't necessarily show patience with others. And James is telling us here that the practice of Christian patience, if you are truly a believer in Christ, that patience has come to you. That ability of Jesus on the cross, who's even having them hurling insults at him, saying, Father, forgive them. Is that, is, is that the type of patience you have to put that type of anger far away from you? He's saying, do it. Stand firm in that and don't begin grumbling against one another. And finally, fourthly and finally here, we see um, not only the nature of Christian patience, the hope of Christian patience, the practice of Christian patience, but fourth, uh, fourthly, examples of Christian patience. We see that in verses 10 and 11. Uh, brothers, as an example of patience in, facing, uh, in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Well, what do we know about the prophets? Well, uh, they, they spoke the truth in, in the, and they acted in truth even in the midst of uh, uh, great persecution. Remember Daniel? Uh, you can't pray. And yet... He does pray, and what happens? Well, he gets thrown in the lion's den. What about Jeremiah? Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. I don't know if you've ever heard that. He's known as the weeping prophet. And he's weeping because, uh, man, he, he, the Lord's told him, you're going to go out and you're going to prophesy these people, and they're not going to accept it. In fact, they're gonna, uh, you're going to have a hard time. They threw him in this pit. And he sinks up to his knees in, in the mire in the pit. And this is his family, you know. They're ready to kill him. This is the response he gets for speaking the word of the Lord to them. And yet, think of the patience that he endured in the midst of this, continuing to express the word of God. So he mentions the, the prophets. We've, we've mentioned just two by name, but you can think of others and the, and the difficulties that they went through and the patience that they had in continuing to express the word of God even when there was uh, such hostility towards them. But then he also mentions Job. And you've heard of Job's perseverance. Um, you think of Job's perseverance when uh, his, he loses it, all of his wealth, he loses his his uh, children, and he gets these hives, and uh, you know he's sitting there scratching himself with pottery and the and the in the dust. And his wife comes to him, wonderful lady. She says, "Why don't you just curse God and die?" Well, what's his attitude in the midst of all of this? How much patience did he have? How much perseverance did did he show? Well, we read the words of Job. He says, the Lord gives, 
and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Isn't that a proper attitude? Isn't that showing incredible uh, patience? And, and in Job 19, Job does what I think is exactly what James is telling us to do here. Um, showing patience with God and remembering what the end result is going to be. And this is before Job realizes his end result here on earth. But in Job 19, we read these words. Job's still going through the midst of all of his suffering here. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Yes, yes, God's going to come back. Yes, he's going to make everything right. And yes, I know that while I'm enduring this incredibly hard time right now, yet I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be patient and waiting for what I know the Lord is going to do. Now, as Christians... We certainly want others to be patient with us. We certainly want God to be patient with us too. But I wonder how often we're showing incredible patience with one another, not grumbling against one another. How often are we showing patience with God in coming to Him and saying, Why haven't you delivered me from this yet? Why haven't you answered my prayer? Why? Are we not showing patience with we need to remember that as children of the Heavenly Father, He has shown us great patience. He's put off the Lord's return, not willing that any should perish. He's shown great patience with us. And we too, as His creation, in His image, and recreating the image of Christ, need to show that patience. Remembering that God is in charge. He will absolutely fulfill his promises to us, returning and making all things right. Great comfort, but also um, a great challenge for us to live that way in the midst of these times. Well, let's pray.